0: Because of the way it went last night, I, I, I realized that I did not say... Um, I am in the last part of Ephesians. I'm in the last part of Ephesians chapter 5 as we talked this, uh, this day about walking in relationship and uh, the spirit-filled marriage. And... Uh, we'll touch... The, we'll touch the essence of marriage today, but you can count on at least two messages on marriage, not just one. You can count on at least that. I would, I would hope that after 46 years and with my open Bible, I have a little more to say than I can say in, in, in one message that would be useful and helpful to you. Gail said she'd help me. Y'all want Gail to help me? She's been helping me a long time. She, she gets all the credit, and I get all the rest. Let's talk about wisdom and foolishness. This is, where we, this is where we back up to go forward. I'm always stuck in the mud. I keep rocking, going back, and then going forward. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. How many of you like the fact that the introduction passages to the marriage section is do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And then it's be filled with song. uh, And then it's be submitting yourselves to one another. So you get, you get filled up. So you have something to give. Now let's, uh, let's also talk about this business of, of drunkenness. Do not get drunk with wine wherein is excess. Uh, you can search through the Bible and the Bible does not forbid the consumption of alcohol. The Bible says, don't drink too much alcohol. The Bible says, if you drink alcohol, you can get (laughs) drunk. I was going to say stupid. I told him last night, Uh, and and I backed off because there's way too many doctors and scientists and there's more this morning. So I backed off a little bit because anytime you're gonna say something you think is intelligent about medicine and you're a preacher, stop. Stop, because it's gonna be wrong no matter how right it is. (laughs) But but alcohol uh, hits a part of the brain that interestingly... Um, develops more slowly in males than females. And this is why young males act with less restraint longer than females. You know, and that's why they, they, need, they, need, uh, they need somebody to sort them out for a longer time. Some of you guys are still hoping that development will kick in. Actually, it's some of the ladies that are hoping that development will kick in. Might be one in the front row can't take him anywhere because you don't know what you're going to get um, hey guys it's a serious thing really so just a, just a warning about alcohol because the truth is every time I speak to a congregation I, I can be fairly confident that there's somebody that needs to hear this you need to take a break Last night a child cried, today it was really quiet. Um, what, the rule on alcohol is this. If you, can't, like, if you drink every day, I'm sorry, you got a problem. You got a problem. Alcohol creeps, alcohol increases and, and people who, who consume it are not the best judges of how well they're doing with it. And so I would say, well, and this, and this leans right into that business of marriage, right into it. So this is a place where uh, you need to know that anybody who consumes alcohol needs to be somebody who, who regularly takes breaks and who can take break immediately. And your protest about taking a break is a sure sign you need to take a break. And if you still don't know, ask the person closest to you. Do I need to take a break? You think? And, and I mean, this is a really serious deal. And if you can't do it, let's just go get some help. And get it sorted out. This is a really, 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 really big deal. And I live in a family or I've lost family members to addiction, specifically alcohol addiction. And so, let's do that. Do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now this business of being filled with the Spirit, uh, if ever there's a church that talks about being filled with the Spirit, we talk about it. I'm gonna gonna come at it a, a little different way. But the first thing I'm gonna say is, that I, I thought about this a lot, I've considered it a lot. And I know in casual ways I've even used this scripture, but this scripture about being drunk with wine is not, uh, it's not, a, it's not a description of being drunk in the spirit. Um, it, it may have a faint allusion to it, but that's not how it's being used in this text. How it's being used in this text is, the Bible says if you get under the influence of alcohol, that's debauchery. But if you get under the influence Of the Spirit, what will come out of you is a right way of addressing one another, a right way of speaking to yourself, and a right way of submitting to one another. All those things will come out of a Spirit-filled life. A Spirit-filled life. Now, uh, so don't be under the influence of alcohol, but be under the influence of the Spirit. Now, let me go ahead and at least back up and say this. The business of experiencing the Holy Spirit in a way that... Uh, actually, sometimes debilitates your bodily function, debilitates your ability to speak, debilitates uh, a lot. It is a it is a wonderful blessing from heaven. It's a real thing, and and Christian history attests to it with mystics all the way to existence. I think that's I think that's what happened to Saul actually when he went into the uh, house of the prophets. I think. Uh, I think we see allusions to it. So in other words, I'm not telling you that's not real. I'm telling you that's not what's being talked about here. And what the Bible wants is us to be under the influence of the Spirit. And every one of you, every one of us, we honestly, we want to encounter people that are under the influence of the Spirit because what will come out of them will manifest the life of God. And this is a wonderful prerequisite for marriage. I want you to have a spirit-filled marriage. Now, let's talk about this under the influence. When I was younger, I was under the influence of adults, and in my case, mostly adult males. I'm, I'm one of those males that had an abundance of adult males, alpha-type males, coaches, my, my, my father, my, uh, my grandfather. Man, I had, I had lions in my life. And I learned to discern the footsteps of a lion. Right? And when I heard it, I came into order. I got under the influence very quickly. You got, you got that? So now look, now that's an external kind of an influence. Marriage, by the way, has some of the same thing. One of the things that happens to you in a marriage is that you so completely immerse your life in another person that that you, that you give yourself to them and their influence is on you endlessly. I never discovered this more fully than when Gail uh, in 2006-7 went to uh, Bethel for ministry school and for the most part of nine months w- was away from me. And I was the worst version of myself during those nine months. Anybody surprised about that? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> and so when she came back, I was, so, I was happy to see her, but I, had, but I had so made a mess of myself that I was badly depressed. And I've discovered that I am the best version of me when I'm under the influence and presence of this wonderful lady that God has given into my life. And that's what marriage is supposed to do. And by the way, I think the same is true. I think I do this in, in her life. Nothing nothing has more gratifyingly affected me than when our 40th anniversary, Gail expressed the things that God had allowed my life to do to her life. And it was beautiful to hear. So, So marriage is saying, I'm under the influence of this person in an exclusive way that no other person can engage. And whereas when I was talking to you about those alpha males in my life, it struck terror in my heart and caused me to conform and reform. It was a fake in those days because when they were gone, I would act another way. In this regard, this is a beautiful and fantastic thing because when you get married, what you're doing is you're denying yourself for the rest of your life and allowing yourself to, to come under Under the influence. That's why the scripture says of a young man in the Jewish, in the Hebrew faith, they were were to spend a year learning how to please their wife. Which of course leads us into the more thorny scriptures. Okay. Bad theology causes bad marriage. You think wrong thoughts, you're going to get wrong outcomes. There's probably been no scripture that was more misused than this text that I'm about to enter into with you. Uh, But it's misused both by um, rigid fundamentalist Bible preaching uh, young people. And it's misused by the critics of Christianity. Neither one understand the text. And When you read your Bible, there's a flat wooden way of reading your Bible that will cause you to do harm rather than cause you to do good. So let's read it and we'll dig into it. Verse 21 repeated, submitting to one another out of the reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husband's. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and he he is, is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We're in a time in our culture. We're in a we're we're literally in a cultural revolution. A culture war's over. It's, it's a revolution now. It's a it's a flat out. And what we're having is we're having the overthrow of the way we once saw life. We're having, it's called deconstruction, and we're having uh, the, the reconstruction of a new way of seeing life. I've been talking to you about it a long time. I'm keep talking about it because it's because it's here. And what's going to happen? And I, I predicted this uh, when, when the Supreme Court ruled on marriage. Um, I, I, I said, this is what's about to happen. It wasn't hard to see. Um, which is to say that, that more and more Christians were going to uh, create separatist movements. In some cases, I expect Christians to actually form communities that are withdrawn from the culture. Now, that's been done many times and 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 never long-term successfully because Christ did not create the church to, to go out of the world, but he created the church to be immersed in the world. And I told you about it last week when we talked about the sexual ethics and how that. One little drop of, of clean water through the, through the Christian gospel created a sexual revolution in late antiquity that caused Christian morality to become the morality of the Christian West. We're now in a time when that, when that influence is being cast off in favor of other things. We haven't seen anything like this, uh, quite like this, since probably the French Revolution. This is deeper. And and more extensive, and it may not be more violent, though it could become violent. But it is, but it is far more pervasive. Because because we've never had we've never had a cultural experience where the deconstruction of gender was on the docket. So understand, when I'm in Holy Scripture, I'm talking in Christian categories, and I'm talking I'm talking in in ways that we see the world understand this we are quickly engaged in a world that does not see that, that does not see the world through the categories of life that have guided us for a long time what they've done is they've reacted to the perversion of these categories now they're overthrowing them creating new categories for marriage for gender for family for Every, uh, what we used to call institution or relational uh, construct that can exist. It's also being true in America, and I've been telling you this. There's a, there's a vast difference between uh, an America based on freedom and an America based on equality. They are not the same thing, and they're actually not compatible in the declaration, it says, we hold these truths self-evident that all are created equal and endowed by their creator. The, the business of being created equal is, a, is a, it's not something that government can give you. It's something that government cannot take from you. The dignity of being created equal. Now, when government tries to enforce that, what government then tries to do is enforce equality. When government enforces equality, it takes away freedom, it doesn't give it. And I'm telling you, this is what's happening. This is the construct that's happening in our culture. And I'm saying that there are, there are beautiful ways of uh, giving what, what the culture is yearning for that do not involve uh, the government becoming the Lord God of every act of the human race. I've always distrusted government and I consider it to be a necessary evil. I've always been a Hebrew that wants to be led by God, not, not by a human government. Always. Always. And the more places that government encroaches, the more places it enforces its lordship. Now, separatism in our case is gonna mean simply that we live counterculturally. I'm gonna continue to define a sexual ethics in a, in a Judeo-Christian way. And I'm gonna continue to speak about marriage in a Judeo-Christian way. And I'm gonna do it today because frankly, If we'd gotten it better, we might not be having such a bad result in the culture. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I I jokingly say this, but I want to be really serious. Really, I want you to get this. This is not addressed to husbands. This is not a word addressed to husbands to give you the power over your wives. And one of the protests... One of the protests that's going on in culture, one of the reasons for the protest is that these kinds of words have been misused to bring damage and harm. And so the culture is rising up and saying, no, this is not okay. This is not a man exerting his lordship over a woman. That's not what this text is. And anybody who says that has misread it and misused it. This is the Lord speaking an inspired word to women about how to live in relationship to their husbands. You want to get the best result for your from, from that guy? Here's how I've designed it. Now, behind everything that I'm saying is the question of, are your ethics going to be uh, humanocentric or are they going to be theocentric? And today, I'll even go further, Christocentric. Is man the center of your revelation or is God? The reason we trust scripture is because we believe it was the inspired revelation. It was the transcendent God speaking to created man. It was the uncreated God speaking to his creatures and saying, this is how I have designed you. And, I'm, and releasing us into the fullness of the goodness of what he has created us to have and to experience. What we have done is we've seen this misused, and then now what's happening is we're going to an ethos that's, ra- that's rooted in the revelation of human pain rather than the revelation of divine encounter. When, when we do this, When we allow human pain to become the revelational point, we will end up with exactly what we have in America. And um, I'm I'm gonna say this as clearly as I can and succinctly, because I don't wanna bog down here. Uh, I told you last week, the the LGBTQ plus acrostic is written to be a community. It's not a community. And the interests of each of those represented in that brand new hierarchy come at odds with one another they don't meet. Transsexualism, for instance, is the end of feminism. Now, I'll leave you for, to think about these things, but, but I'm telling you, So that when, you, when you start with human pain, people are hurting, people are confused. They don't know who they are. Their desires are... are, are in this direction. And we go, oh, okay, this is the sovereign revelation and this is how we must build our culture because after all, humanity is sovereign and human needs are sovereign and human identification is sovereign. But you and I will be a counterculture because we say, no, divine revelation has told us how to be. So we don't get it wrong. We have to get it clear. So husbands... Do not submit your wives to yourself. It's a perversion. Also, the revelation of how this works is not found in, again, in a humanocentric way where a man uh, encounters a woman and she's difficult. And so he says, isn't she supposed to submit to me? I have a scripture verse that says that. No, you look into the heavens This thing comes from the heavens. If heaven's to be manifested on earth, where do we get it? Husbands, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, that means, hmm, what do we get from the Lord? Divine submission is found in the Trinity. You cannot have a Trinitarian revelation of father and son without having submission. In it, the submission in the divine trinity in no way implies inferiority. In fact, it implies a kind of equality that we've never even imagined, a kind of unity, a kind of oneness that we only lean into and hope for. And so the the father was one with the son and the son submitted to the father and the father loved the son and gave all things into his hands. There's your revelation of divine submission. And it ends in the highest revelation that can be given of God, our man, in the Holy Cross, where he gave himself up. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And then it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now notice, it doesn't say, it doesn't say the husband is the head of the wife, even as the father is the head of the son. So what does headship means? Because for us, headship means lordship and leadship. It, and it means, you know, and then there's the people make stupid jokes. I'm not going to. Um, it means source. If you go to the headwaters of a river, you're going to the source of a river. The husband is the head of the wife. What does that mean? She came out of him and came from him. You got a Hebrew rabbi talking about marriage he's not abandoning divine revelation he's going all the way back to the beginning and he's telling us about a husband and a wife and he says the husband is the head of the wife meaning that out of the man was brought the woman even as christ is the head of the church because out of the man out of his wounds out of out of his divine wounds came the bride. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Men, you want true headship? Live like the Messiah, the savior, the anointed one. He's the one you look to. No woman has, uh, careful, women can submit themselves in that kind of economy. All right. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husband in everything. Now, so what's going on here? The heart of a woman is literally designed to crave, not lead. A woman craves something else. But the heart of a man craves lead. I'm gonna talk about men next week and what we've done to men in this culture. But, but the heart of a man craves that, 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 that leadership. Does he not want love? No, of course he wants love. Does a woman not have some lead? Of course she does. But this is talking about marriage in terms of the the divine trinity relationship. The highest communion. You made me for communion we sang this morning. I guess I could give my all to you. You made me for communion. And so we come to the time of communion. Right here in the middle of the message, I want you to to receive the communion. If you don't have the elements of the communion, uh, Steve is standing, raise your hand and he'll bring them to you. if, If you're here and you don't have them. You made me for union and communion. It was fun last night because I had newlyweds in the house. And we're talking about marriage. Men, you have no permission to call upon this text except in your prayers to heaven. Men, you have no permission to quote this text to your wife. He's addressing her. You're not addressing her. I'm helping you. I'm saving your life. There should be a warning. There's a warning on this thing. Don't try this at home. We're going to deal with this text. It's so interesting. This text, the whole of the text of Ephesians talks about the people of God as the body of Christ. How did we become the body of Christ? By receiving him. By receiving him. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And this is why the central thing we come to do, the central thing is to receive him. Because we have not no, because we have. And the bread is his body. And so I declare to you, this is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is given for you, receive. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I have to tell you, it's a very strange thing, but when I turn to get to take the cup, I get the flashbacks of my, my training in the Lutheran church as an altar boy. taught that the, here's the cup and you never turn your back on the cup and so, and so, and so when I turn I, I, I find myself reflect, re, reflecting and reflexing inside myself <laughs> <laughs> because there's a sacredness it's, it's a sacred thing and so the Bible says Uh, That Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. You are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb. The blood of Christ is shed for you, church. And then the, in most traditions, the priest makes this declaration. Not because it wasn't true before, but because we manifested the truth of it in the act. What you've just done is you have declared the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. And that he has given himself for us and to us. And Christ is ours and we are forgiven. Amen? Amen? All right. That's not the end of the sermon. Close. Closer than you think. So when you think of this business of submission, the divine trinity of God comes into your head. And, and you are entering into the fellowship of the heavens, of the, of the uncreated life of God. And so that song spoke of willing submission. Here I am, all of me, I surrender. That's what this text is. That's what this text is. Let me tell you what it's not ladies, this text is not a call for you to be abused. This text is not a call uh, for you um, to be inferior. This, this text is not a call for you. In other words, you don't lose the ability to say no by having said yes. Trust me, I married that. And it's a sanctifying reality. And it happens in the dance as we're being changed. We're being changed. We're being changed in this business. And by the time you've lived a long life in a long marriage, you can't fathom another breath without this person. And you can't imagine that it must not extend into the ages. But we're not told so because we are destined for a unity. Anyway. Husbands, love your wives. One more thing. No, I'll get to it. Husbands, love your wives. Now that says, don't get mistaken here, guys. This is not fluttering. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There it is. There it is. Like that. Even as the womanly submission is Christocentric, the husband's love is Christocentric. I love this passage more than I can even tell because meditating on this passage in 1974 before we got married... The Lord confirmed my calling, gave me my assignment for the rest of my life. Last night, I antied up again. I said, yes, this is what I was made for. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So this is what you're doing. Wait a minute. I don't get to have a life? No. I'll talk more about this next week, too. They're just saying, I don't need a life, I need you. Don't get it wrong, don't get it wrong. Loved the church and gave himself up for her. You think Christ, by the way, needed us? This is the nature of the love of Christ. It's not rooted in any need that he has that's unfulfilled. And that's why when you're loving your wife as Christ loved the church, it's not to be rooted in your needs to get, to get what you want out of the relationship. It's the self-giving love. I have found someone for whom I will die. I have found someone for whom I will work all the days of my life. I will labor for her. I will protect her. I will honor her. Gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her Having cleansed her by the washing of water in the word. This has always bothered me. And I, even last night, I didn't give them the best I could have given them out of this. So so this has always bothered me. I mean, to be honest with you, I can't imagine the business of, what do you mean, cleansing? She's clean. I married her. Gave himself up for that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word. That he might present the church to himself in splendor. No spot, no wrinkle, or any such thing. She's holy and without blemish. And so this is a mystery. Again, I had to enter the, a little bit of the Hebrew mind. Um, the idea that lives in there is that um, women carry an impurity that men don't carry. And this is manifested in their in their, literally in their bodily functions in the cycle of their of their life. Now, um, there was always something in the ethos of life that the, the, the woman was in her impurity. In Christianity, there's no such thing. In fact, this is the moment at which you're the most present, the most available, the most tender, the most understanding, the most self-giving. Are you getting this? This is like, okay, in her weakness. There you are. So you don't understand what this means, men? This means when she's the most difficult to live with, you're the closest. You're like, I'm going fishing. I know what week this is. I'm going fishing. No, you're not. Now you got it. I had to be clear. I always have to be clear. You already had it, but you were blushing. See, I understand this in the priestly role of of Christ who made everything unclean, clean. I understand this in the priestly role of preaching the word of God over a people that you are clean through the word that I've spoken unto you, said Jesus. I understand it, but i never understood it until I I just kept puzzling, puzzling, puzzling. And then it was like, oh, right there, right there. I don't know if I have it all yet, but I'll get the rest of it and bring it to you next week. That she might be holy and without blemish. What is your role in her life? So get this. What is a wedding? There's nothing like a wedding. There she is in splendor. What's the Bible say? No, that's your role in her life. That you would give yourself to her in such a way that her splendor will manifest all the days of her life. get in this church. I'm up here as an old fellow preaching and saying, honey, I was so stupid for so long. Because I'm sorry to the ladies. We're pretty consumptive and selfish. But the call is the cross. And the call is self-giving love in the same way Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. What has he done? He's just set it up. He's been saying, you're the body of Christ, you're the body of Christ, you're the body of Christ, you're the body of Christ. And then he says, husbands love your wives as you love your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are the members of his body. See, he reinforces it now. A little more. Come with me a little further. This is a moment to just touch this one last thing. Whenever you want to destroy a thing, you caricature it. And the way Christian marriage has been caricatured is that, is that males have treated women like property. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Nowhere in the Bible is that in any way under, undergirded. Nowhere in Christian history has the church undergirded that lie. And only in a few cultic sects, S-E-C-T-S, has that kind of foolishness been remotely manifested. A woman has never been the property of a man and To destroy Christianity because you say, well, she's treated like property. No. Has there been some inequity? Of course there has. And one of the beautiful things is we're seeing that worked out. By the way, the gospel works it out, as I will talk to you about when we come to the issue of slavery in a couple of weeks. But don't, don't submit to that lie as the basis for rejecting Christian marriage. And wise, if you get a knucklehead that has any kind of treatment like that in him, you sort him out right quick. Make him fit for submission. I ain't kidding. Make him the best version of himself. Now look, therefore, a man shall leave father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be one, shall be one flesh. What? The mystery, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. What refers to Christ and his church? A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. What? What? What are you saying? Yes, this speaks of the incarnation of the Son of God. Leaving. Leaving. Philippians 2, leaving um, uh, uh, Colossians 1 and becoming one with his bride. No wonder the Bible says this is a mystery. No one can fathom it, can't comprehend it. Earlier, we were told that the mystery of the church was the Jew and Gentile in the one new man. Now in the late part of the story, we're told the mystery of the church is God and man, uncreated life in union with created life. Oh yes, it's a mystery. Oh yes, it's unfathomable, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Would you stand together? And and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In other words, I'll say it again. The heart of a woman craves love. And the man gives it to her. The heart of a man craves lead or respect. And the wife gives it. You have the gift to give to your spouse that makes them the best version of themselves and creates for you the greatest atmosphere for for marital flourishing. This is the gospel. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, washing her with water and the word. Holy Spirit, would you come upon us spirit-filled marriage is the marriage in which Christ who fills the woman and fills the man brings them into a unity, a union more than a unity it's more than an agreement it's an enmeshment so that I look at my wife and I say you are me